Chapter 3. Thou shall not murder. Exodus 20:13. One thing I have to say about Blake is he did keep his promise. He showed up at the rectory one week later just as he had said he would. He came in, said not a word and plopped himself arrogantly into my favorite easy chair in the living room. Well what do you think? He growled with a smirk. His demeanor had radically changed. It bore no resemblance to that of the altar boy who had served in his youth. It wasn't even like that which he displayed when he first came to seek my help a month ago. He had become insolent and loathsome. I certainly knew what he meant but I replied with equal enmity. About what? I snapped back. Come on man. You what I'm talking about. Do I go to the cops or do I just go back to my cozy little refrigerator carton home under the bridge? I had spent the entire week wrestling with my dilemma. Should I accede to his extortion or call his bluff? Then of course how could I be sure he was bluffing and won't really go to the authorities with his scurrilous accusations? Maybe I could revive the moral character of his youth, which I could only hope, still resided within him by using words of kindness. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Flashed through my mind over and over. It was the commandment of the Lord, which I was finding difficult to obey. I said nothing in response. I don't have all day he interrupted my silence in a loud, unsettling tone. Listen Blake I can give you some money again now but I don't see any way that I can continue to do this. I just don't have it and you know that what you are accusing me of is beyond false. Beyond false? He repeated. And besides, even if it is, does that make any difference when I get Harry to back me up on it? Why would he back you up anyway? I replied. Because if you don't cooperate I'll expose the whole thing and then sue the church for a bundle and I'll cut him in on it. The only reason I'm not just suing right away is because I'm trying to give you a chance to save yourself, for old time's sake. Do you know what I mean? Father. How can you do this? How can you throw away all the values you were bought up with? I knew your parents and even your grandparents and they all taught you well, right from wrong, good from evil. Now you're disrespecting them and yourself and casting it all away. What do you think God will have to say about this on Judgment Day? A day at a time. I'll have to worry about that then. In the meantime, like I told you before, desperate people do desperate things in desperate situations. It looks like both of us are in desperate situations right now so what do you say? Are you going to start giving me some cash or am I going down to the police station? I remained seated and silent to his reply as verses I hadn't recalled since seminary swirled through my mind. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton, and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. Well what's it gonna be? He startled me from my contemplation. Again, I failed to reply. Okay. I get it. I'm out of here. And he rose from the chair and started towards the door. Wait a minute. I called. I've got some money for you. I'll go get it. I stood up and he returned to the chair. I started to my bedroom. As I took the first step up the stairs, more verses began to flash through my head and they continued as I proceeded. O oh God whom I praise, do not ignore me. For they say cruel and deceptive things to me, they lie to me. They surround me and say hateful things, they attack me for no reason. They repay my love with accusations, 
but I continue to pray. They repay me evil for a good, and hate for love. Appoint an evil man to testify against him. May an accuser stand at his right side. When he is judged, he will be found guilty. Then his prayer will be regarded as sinful. May his days be few. As I approach the top of the stairs. May his days be few. May his days be few. May his days be few. Echoed and re-echoed through my mind. As soon as I entered the room, I saw it. My brilliant, red stole together with my other vestment hung from the valet stand in the corner. I stood unable to control my gaze. I stared at it intently, entranced for several moments. Its striking color swirled and it seemed to call to me by words scattered through my mind. I reached out, grasped it, and acceded to its commands. I turned and began the slow, fateful trek down to the living room. Blake sat in the chair with his back to me. I stealthily inched behind him and threw the stole about his neck. I pulled it as tightly as I could and continued to squeeze. He instinctively grabbed for it, struggling to pull it from its strangling clutch. His legs flung violently while he vainly clawed at the ever-tightening garrote at his throat. It seemed to be an eternity before his struggle reduced to a quiver and finally to expiration. I continued to squeeze well beyond the point of fatality as if my hands and arms had become tetanized in the lethal grasp. Finally, I conjured the strength to relax. I pulled the stove from his neck. His head fell forward and he slumped lifelessly in the chair. I walked around to the front and sat in the chair facing him. His face was ashen. Crimson blood vessels spread over the whites of his bulging eyes. They were wide open, and fixed in a glassy, distant stared. A fine white foam issued from his mouth and a moist area had spread over the crouch of his jeans. I buried my face in my hands and wept. God had forgiven David when he sent Uriah to his death, but now would he forgive me? I murmured his prayer of repentance. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. I lifted my head from my hands again to face the cold, hard truth of what I had done. I continued to sit for a while with a faint hope that it all had been a dream. After several minutes, it hit me like a sledgehammer, I had just murdered a man, me, a man of God, a soldier of Christ, and I had just squeezed the life out of a fellow human being. And why? I fell into a contemplative trance with legions of thoughts flooding my conscientiousness. Was it the fear of the contemptuous allegations, which he was planning to proclaim? Could it be my disdain for his callous response to the charity, which I had gladly extended to him? Maybe it was the wickedness of his intended extortion that compelled me? What was it that had driven me to this dreadful act? I sat and pondered a myriad of possible explanations all of which allowed me to excuse myself of this sinful deed. As my entrancement ebbed, I began to accept that it was the compulsion of my inner voices, which had driven me to this vile thing. Could it be that demons were residing within me and the fierce Blake's threats had stimulated enabled them to surface and take control? Could I expel them with prayer and penances or had they already gained an impenetrable hold upon me? I began to tremble at the fearful thought of their possible return. I slowly regained my senses and stared at the lifeless corpse before me. No self-chastisement and analysis could erase the fact that I had just committed the most hateful crime of all, murder. What should I do next? Call the police and lie? It would be obvious that he had been strangled and how could I possibly explain that? Should I move the body and claim it was a suicide? But then why was he here in the first place? How could I plausibly explain his presence here in my rectory? I could call the police and confess? Confession is good for the soul race through my mind. It might be good for unburdening my soul, but it certainly wouldn't serve well for my future. 
I suddenly realized that all my soul-searching had distracted me from my priestly duties. I may be a murderer but I am still a priest of the Lord. I rose and walked to the sacristy. I returned with the holy oils. I knelt before him and proceeded to anoint his hands and forehead and pray over him. If thou art alive, through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. I spoke loudly over him. Having completed the sacrament I arose and sat once more in the chair across from him. At least I had provided him with proper Christian rites. I felt my anxiety ebb and a calmness passed over me. The thoughts of self-recrimination lessened and now I began to think in more practical terms. I soon decided that calling the police was not a good option. But what should I do with the body? I knew my housekeeper, Mrs. Krause would be arriving in three hours. She was extremely punctual, never late and never early. As I sat and mused, I took some morbid pride in the fact that I had chosen to strangle him rather than a stabbing. There was little or no mess to deal with. I couldn't imagine having to clean up a bloodstained drug and chair and hide him away all in three hours. But now, where was I to hide him? Suddenly, it occurred to me. Father Francis was the priest I had replaced at the Church of the Holy Virgin fifteen years ago. He had been there for thirty years prior. He was an avid fisherman, deep-sea fishing. He went every chance he got. Evidently, he was a very good fisherman too. He had even purchased a freezer chest to store his catches and generally, it was packed. Not being a fish lover, when I first arrived I gave its entire contents to some of the needy people of the parish. I unplugged the freezer and it had remained fallow ever since. I had been tempted to give it away but no one seemed to want it. It was large, heavy, old, and inefficient so there in the garage it remained. I went to the garage and plugged it in, praying to hear the sound of the compressor kick in. It started immediately with a loud, confirming rumble. I went back to the living room and dragged Blake's limp body to the garage. He was extremely scrawny but much heavier than I anticipated. Dead weight is always heaviest I suppose. I wrestled him into the freezer, turned and twisted his arms and legs until he fit just perfectly. Luckily, he took up only about one third of the freezer depth. I was exhausted. I went and sat on a carton at the far side of the garage. I was sweating profusely and out of breath, but the job was done. What if Mrs. Krause notices that the freezer is on and unplugs it? Or even worse she looks inside? I got in my car and went to the supermarket. I bought a box of white plastic garbage bags and a cart full of frozen vegetables. I then went to the hardware store and bought a sheet of white styrofoam insulation board. When I returned to the rectory, I opened the freezer and surrounded the body with tightly packed newspaper. I began to lay the white plastic bags over him and it was then that I felt a compulsion to look directly into his icy gaze. I stood transfixed by his vacant stare. A frightful chill raced through me as I struggled to turn away from his glassy glare. I finally released myself from the paralysis and immediately went to the kitchen. I got a paper bag from the pantry, came back to the freezer, and slid it over his frozen face. I assured myself this would forestall future anxieties when I was to peer into that frigid coffin again. Then, I carefully cut the foam board and fitted it over the paper encased body making sure that it remained perfectly stable. Lastly, I scattered the frozen vegetable packages on top. I slammed the lid closed and went straight to the bar in the den for a shot of Jack, there I sat awaiting Mrs. Krause's arrival.